Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm -hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was hatched when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 396, Hunting Hend Up Gobblers, with Brian Lovett. And I am your co-host, and the guy who has started his summer swim camp, you're always drowning stuff. I'm your co-host and the guy who feels bad for the attendees of Andy's summer swim camp. Man, all I can tell you is don't dig up my yard or my wife's garden. I believe it, man. I wouldn't dare at this point. <laughs> and good. if you're a dog, do not come and crap in my wife's garden. I'm, not, I'm not saying that the dog will go swimming. I'm just saying that you will run for your life for a few seconds anyway. Well, I, I see you still haven't satisfied, I guess, your bloodlust from spring turkey hunting. So now you've moved on to the chipmunk world and become the antagonist of all things chipmunk. I have said it numerous times on this show, and it's, it seems like it is especially this time of year. I hate, and I don't use that word very often. That is a very strong word. <laughs> 
I hate chipmunks. <laughs> I don't I don't know what else to say. So the chipmunk trapping program has begun at my house and in a normal year I can trap between 15 and 20 chipmunks out of my yard. Wow. And I don't trap year round. I mean it's concentrated like right now I'll trap for a month, I'll lay off for a month and then I'll start to trap again and by springtime next year we'll end up with just a pile of chipmunks again. So I think over the past two days I have trapped four and so it's begun. It's just begun. And they don't they're not very good swimmers. But I'm gonna find one. Gonna find one that will want to learn and be receptive to learning how to swim. I feel bad for the little furry guys. Uh, I I would just whack them with the uh, pellet rifle myself but hey whatever works well, get rid of they dug up your yard it's their own it's their own doing you lose so much of the meat if you shoot them with a pellet gun <laughs> <laughs> you are living off chipmunks you better be trapping a bunch my man hey that's what happens when you don't when you don't have a good turkey season you have to live off of chipmunk meat yeah, bad bad turkey season and a you know, food shortage potential coming up with the economy. You know, you're living off chipmunks. That's that's where we are now. Well, I'm going to tell you this. This past week, I got home from my trip, and my buddy Yankee John had given me three pounds of ramp butter. And if you mm. don't know what ramps are, you guys are missing out. But he made butter out of the ramps, and or I should say with the ramps, not out of, but with the ramps, and gave me three pounds of it. I used some on some venison steaks this past week out mm. of this world good so i figured we tried on some chipmunks so that's coming up next week i'll let you know let you guys know how that tastes now that i'm excited about yeah we had back to turkey news big changes in tennessee my man yeah changes from the commission meeting and i'm happy for it i'm not going to go into great detail right now because we'll We'll probably cover that in a future show, maybe sure. a turkey soup episode, or you know, I think maybe at some point we just do an episode before next season, going over new regulations and states would be a good idea. But yeah, we uh, could do some of that, and you know, we still haven't done a recap. Yeah, that so, is true. We do a recap. Yeah, we need to maybe do one more episode in our series of hunting hen up gobblers, or maybe we because we've done a couple of them already, maybe we call it quits on hen up gobblers. Yeah and do a recap episode and then jump into our next series. Yeah. So just yeah, get a little bit of a break in there. Cliff Notes version, briefly for other Tennesseans who may hear this, for those who plan to travel to Tennessee, season is delayed two weeks. It's going to be April 15 to May 28 next year. Very late season, but I'd rather have the days than just have them chopped off completely. And then bag limit is down to two. Only one can be a Jake. There's uh, new quotas and a one bird limit on several Middle Tennessee WMAs that are very popular the first 14 days. And then we also had a mass extension on trapping raccoons, possums, and an increase in the bag limit of coons and possums for hunting season and a month added to that season. So they're trying to kill more of them, which is good. So that's kind of a Cliff Notes version. But Oh, and reaping is banned on public land. So that was another one. That that one was real controversial. That that barely passed. There was tons of discussion there. But overall, yeah. I'm pleased. I, I get the discussion on that. And you know how I feel about reaping. 
but I totally could get behind it being banned on public land, you know, so, I mean, and, and I honestly was kind of shocked it was even discussed that heavily on, on public. It's, I mean, yeah, I there's agree. so much discussion around it otherwise, but like just from safety and especially with how many people are utilizing public for turkeys now. Yeah. Just, I mean, that's easy. That's yep. just easy. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. That, that did happen. So we've joined, I guess South Carolina is the only other state that has a ban on public land only. So we've joined their ranks there. But um, Yeah, big, still, big Tennessee's still trying to be as good as Alabama. It's just outright banned in Alabama. So, yeah, I, I like the way you Alabamians handle things. Mm, that's right. right. <laughs> so... I've heard good things, actually, from the poll report from some folks in Alabama. I don't know if you've seen any. I have not. I have not been in the woods, really, since yeah, coming home. So, yeah. Neither have I. We've got a good guest today. Yeah, awesome guest. We have Brian Lovett, who I think has written 622,937 articles about turkeys and turkey hunting. I'd say you're probably within 100,000 or so. He's written a bunch <laughs> of articles and yeah. is is the reason the reason well I guess there's more than one reason why he's written a bunch. He loves writing and he loves wild turkeys, so that's two reasons why he's written a bunch. But the reason that he's gotten so many published is because he writes so well. Yes. And, you know, just really good quality stuff. He always has very good oh, would we say pros to iterate or reiterate his points that are made in the articles yeah. and you know just quality quality stuff that he writes and you know I, I think I said it in the interview you know when I pick up a magazine and I see an article article written by Brian Lovett well I'm reading that one yeah you know there there's no way I'm skipping that one because it's just good stuff so we yeah. get to have him live and in person yeah first time on the show I like, yes. I like getting first-timers on here. It's nice. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What do you say you and I just quit talking, we let Brian start doing some talking, and we talk about hunting hinned-up gobblers with Brian Lovett? Let's do it. See you guys on the other side. Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are glad to tell you that we have on the line with us a new guest what to is? the Turkey Hunter podcast, but not new to turkey hunting. We have on the line with us Brian Lovett, and Brian is an author, well, of course, a turkey hunter, and an author, and has a long history of educating us turkey hunters, diehard turkey hunters, about turkey hunting with his books and the articles that he's written over all the years. And so we're excited to have Brian on to continue our series of Hunting Hind Up Gobbler. And so... Brian, how are you today, sir? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Good deal. Well, thank you for taking time out and coming on the show. Where are you? Uh, I live in East Central Wisconsin, Oshkosh. Okay, fantastic. I don't know. For some reason, I was thinking you were in PA, but that that, that makes more sense to me now. That it seems like I remember you being in Wisconsin. So good deal. Yep. Uh, Born and raised here, so that's where Turkey and Turkey Hunting Magazine got its start, uh, you know, many, many years ago, and I just was lucky enough to become a part of it back in the day. Yeah, yeah. How long were you with Turkey and Turkey Hunting? I was with uh, Krause Publications, uh, F&W, the parent company of Turkey, for almost 20 years, and I did 
two stints with turkey and turkey hunting, each about uh, seven or eight years apiece. So I guess probably 15 years total with the magazine. Okay. All right. Good deal. Yeah, that was... Go ahead, Cameron. Like if you're a listener to the show and you've read any magazines, honestly, or, or any articles about Turkey, you've probably read some of Brian's work at some point. Oh, yeah. Do you have any idea how many articles you've written over the years, Brian? <laughs> no, I turkeys? don't. Uh, I, no, I, I thought the other day about trying to go back and count, but I, I don't. I Between turkey and turkey hunting and... Uh, other, I mean, obviously, Turkey Country Now, Jake's Magazine, Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, other outlets. I just have online stuff. I have no idea. It'd be, it'd be interesting to go back and count, but it seems like a lot of work. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it would be. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, good deal, man. I'm just really glad to have you on the show, and and glad to talk to you as well. And so. Cameron and I do a segment on the show with with new guests. It's called the Rapid Fire Q&A. And he explained to you a little bit what the Rapid Fire Q&A is, but basically 30 questions. And we run through those questions just as quickly as we can. There's no scientific questions, no, no heavy math or algebra, no chemistry, all kind of your preferences about turkeys and turkey hunting. Okay. How many articles have you written? First question. So we're going to put the timer to you if you're up for that and see if you can beat the fastest time that we have, which is by Mark Prudham. And that is <laughs> two minutes and 17.48 seconds. I mean, he flew through these questions and beat the top score by or top time by 20 seconds so kind of keep that in mind and you have to remember i'm a slow talking southern boy reading these questions but i'm the same person that's read them for everybody so okay even though ron jolly accuses me of cheating by reading too slowly when he when he does a rapid fire q a uh, it it is what it is (laughs) Well, you know, Prudem has to outdo everybody. That's just how he is. <laughs> that is how he is. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. a competitive fellow. Yes, he is. Good stuff. All right. So I'm pulling the timer up here. I'm going to start the the stopwatch on the first question. And whenever you're ready, we'll jump in and go. All right. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Fried. Wild turkey on the rocks, neat with cola or with water? Neat. Number of grand slams? Uh, 10. Ever killed a bearded hen? Yes. Ever killed a Jake? Yes. 10-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old or a four-hour-long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old? Oh, uh, gotta go two-year-old. Sorry. Favorite camo pattern? Oh, uh, it's tough to say. I gotta pass on that one. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? For dinner. More or less than five strikers in turkey vest? Less. State you killed your first turkey in? Wisconsin. State you killed your last turkey in? Wisconsin. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun for an hour. Rios or Osceolas? Osceolas. Osceolas or Easterns? Easterns. Easterns or Merriams? Easterns. Fields turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods turkeys. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight or beads? Uh, holographics. Rubber boots, leather boots or snake boots? Rubber boots. Favorite place you've ever hunted? Uh, tough to say. Wisconsin or Missouri. Most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Um, 
13, 14. Least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Uh, tough, going back all the way, one or two. Out of all the states you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? Alabama. If you only knew how to imitate one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? Uh, just a really good uh, uh, plain yelp. On a scale of one to ten, how good of a turkey caller do you think you are? I'm okay. Six and a half, seven. Favorite turkey hunting book? <laughs> oh, favorite turkey hunting book, 10th Legion. Who taught you how to turkey hunt? Uh, a lot of people. I'm kind of a child of the industry. Uh, a lot of famous callers kind of taught me how to turkey hunt over the years. Think of the toughest turkey you've ever hunted. Did you ever kill him? Uh, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> do you prefer... Okay, yeah. All right. Do you prefer long, sharp spurs or long, thick beards? Oh, long, sharp. Biggest mistake new turkey hunters make? Uh, um, not knowing the land, not knowing their query and thinking through situations. How long does turkey season last in heaven? What is the bag limit? Oh, man, it lasts forever and there is no bag limit because you really don't care if you kill one or not. Oh, I, I got, definitely have to give you some style points on the last part of that question. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> or the last part of that answer. That was solid. I really like that. So, and and by the way, if it matters to you, that's usually the the answer that we get. No bag limit and seasons never end. Yeah. Okay. You know, so, mm-hmm. but I, I like that on the, I like, I like that good stuff. So I've got your time at two minutes and 58.67 seconds. So that is very strong. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> If I can be in the same conversation with Mark, I'll be happy with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you definitely are there. And you beat Dave Owens Mark by about 20, 20 seconds. Mark did it in, what, 15 seconds? <laughs> Two, Mark was 217. Okay. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Right yeah. in there with him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. So that was fun. I'm, I appreciate you running through and doing that. You know, I think it gives the listeners just a chance to get to know you. Kind of, you know, some of those questions that, you might get asked sitting around a campfire at turkey camp. Yeah, absolutely. So, that is fun. I appreciate you doing that. We've got a good topic to discuss and probably, you know, I, I think I'm just going to go out on a limb and I'd like to get your both of you guys' opinion on this. I think it's probably the most frustrating situation or scenario that we run up against in the woods and that's hunting hind up gobblers. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, for sure, because you can encounter it anywhere in the country and honestly, anymore, uh, any time of the season. You know, I make a joke that here at home, they're hend up from day one. And I know for a fact they were, many of them still hend up at the very end of May here, you know, and it's, uh, uh, there's a lot of strategies that work for it, but sometimes the gobblers just follow the hens and the hens have a mind of their own and I've seen some of the best in the business be humbled by hand up gobblers, you know, so it kind of keeps you grounded. <laughs> yeah, very true. We were told you knew a secret uh, call to thing. get a turkey to come to you when he has hens. Well, I can't divulge that. I'm actually <laughs> going to put that on the market next year and hope to retire soon after. So. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we could all, you know, cash in that check and, and call it a day. Yeah, that, that, that'd be more uh, Mark Prudham, Dave Owens uh, material. <laughs> but, <laughs> Cameron, you you were going to ask something to Brian? Well, no, I was going to say the only thing I could say would be more frustrating than hemmed up turkeys is hunting land that doesn't have any turkeys. Uh, that that can be more frustrating when you're on absolutely nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
I would I would agree with that. You know, hand up turkeys at least you feel like you're in the game and can yeah. make a play move when you when you feel like you're yelping to empty woods or being ignored. That's that's just like an empty hollow feeling. You know, you just you don't know yeah. what to do at that point. So. Well, that Let me ask you, you Go ahead. Well, as I was say, you mentioned something that I've noticed in the past three seasons. They've been hand up all season. Why do you think that is? It's hard to say. You know, I, I base a lot of that. You know, so much of it, of course, is timing, um, and a lot of that is based on my hunting at home because we start our season relatively early for a northern state. And we you know, go through May, you know, and, uh, you know, it's funny because most of the hens should be or probably are incubating or on the, you know, on the nest by, you know, mid-May. And yet you still see gobblers with hens right to the very end. So I'm, is it, you know, hens that lost nests that are back in circulation, so to speak, or the, or the jennies that gobblers are following around? But it doesn't seem to matter because every year right up to the bitter end, You'll find a gobbler with hens. On was it five years ago? I watched a gobbler on the last day of the season, May 29th, uh, with I don't know 10 or 11 hens. I actually bred a hen wow. that morning, and before I killed him on the very last day of the season, when I mean every hen in the universe should have been nesting at that point. So, good question. Yeah, Andy and I. I mean, was it? I guess yeah. Last year, 2021, we were up there Memorial Day weekend, and we're on what a flock of three gobblers and right. Friends. I mean, yeah, they're on Memorial the mm-hmm. Day weekend. Yeah, yep. Kind of wild. Yeah. Here at home, he's still like, Cameron, more so susceptible to being a lose me. Yeah, start over here at home. Right. Here at home, it, it seems like they're season time. I mean, towards the end, they they are kind of getting a line more so than my experiences up north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know that's conventional wisdom and i still really go by that i i know guys who uh gosh you know 10 days before the lat end of the season uh south of here uh were, were finding birds by themselves and having great success and then actually like the last two or three days of the year here i did find a couple birds that were obviously on their own gobbling out searching you know uh that that classic late season haven't had a hen in 10 days kind of deal you know but mm-hmm. you know yeah, many other years up till the end, it's like, man, you'll see them out in fields, you know, this time of year, June. They've got a bunch of hens with them strutting, and it's like, <laughs> what do I have to do? You know, hunt in July? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I ran into that in Alabama the, the entire season, you know, and I, I attributed it to Jenny's. We had a tremendous hatch this past spring, and, you know, I think that we just had a bunch of Jenny's running around in the woods, and... The, the gobblers didn't really have much of a reason to gobble and sure didn't have any reason to leave a real live hen and come look in the bushes for what might be another one. Right, yeah. Yeah, frustrating, but, you know, I, I try to be a glass half full kind of guy and I look at it like, well, I didn't kill a whole lot in Alabama, so that's more opportunities next year. Yeah, for sure. I see it. You, you, you really don't, well, I shouldn't say you don't mind, but it's, it's easy to, you can accept getting beat, you know, as long as you realize that there's still opportunity out there, you know, whether uh, next week or next year or whatever. That's, uh, yeah, at least, you know, the, there are birds on the landscape and, you know, there's always hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, what's 
really kind of your first approach. Let's say you, you hear a turkey gobble on the roost, you get over in the direction of that bird in the area of that bird and you hear a real soft little tree yelp. What what are you going to do from that point to try to change the odds in your favor? Uh, well, hopefully I'm fairly close for one thing. Uh, if I can slip within, you know, at least the distance of being able to hear him fly down or, or see a turkey fly down, I feel as though I'm in the game because I'm pretty close. But, uh, you know, conventional wisdom always was that uh, if, if a bird was with him, you should kind of, go against the grain and maybe just, you know, start calling aggressively and maybe try to course that gobbler into flying down early, like you're the first hen on the ground and see if he'll come in early. And I've had a little success with that, but not much. But honestly, you know, if a bird's with hens like that, you just, a lot of times, you're just kind of letting them fly down and see how it plays out, you know. I mean, if you can, if nothing else, I figure, if they're somewhat vocal and you can kind of keep them talking at least to keep tabs on their location, you can always make a move and make a play. And that's kind of my strategy in that situation. You know, I mean, every now and then you'll get lucky and they fly down right in front of you, you know, especially if you're really tight and that's great. But a lot of times, of course, they fly the other way or just have different ideas. But as long as you can keep tabs on them, you know, and kind of get an idea of where they might go, where you can cut them off, I'll just try to play it that way and kind of go to plan B on the run. So, yeah, keeping them talkative and keep keeping that conversation going, that interaction going with the birds is, you know, I think is very important. Is there an approach in particular that you have in doing that? Are you or are you just trying everything in the book to keep them talking? What what's your strategy on that? Yeah, I'll I'll generally almost always start off um, real soft and not aggressive with my hand calling whatsoever. Years ago, I hunted, gosh, I think it was Alex Rutledge in uh, Nebraska, and he talked to me about what he called asking permission. And that was just, you know, there's always this talk about, you know, getting aggressive and going at the boss hen and getting her angry and having her drag a gobbler in. And that does work, but it really only works in certain situations. And often it really only works, to me at least, works best early in the year when hens are still somewhat grouped up and, you know, very competitive yet. Um, so I'll always start real soft and kind of subtle at first to see if I can get a hen uh, to yap back at me, if I can get one to answer, if they seem interested in being social, you know. And, and many times, especially early in the morning, they are. And if I can kind of keep that conversation going and hopefully at the same time keep a gobbler, you know, gobbling every now and then, that's great. You know, if that doesn't work and they just hush up, I'll kind of switch gears and try to get them going, you know, with aggressive calling, whether it's uh, cutting, aggressive purring, something like that, even just to get a reaction again to, to keep tabs on where they're going. But, you know, pretty much every time I encounter a hand-up gobbler, I'm trying to call to the hens. Again, always starting soft and subtle, asking permission, and then if needed, going aggressive like that. In either approach, whether it's aggressive or the soft calling, are you finding or listening for one turkey in the flock and trying to imitate her, or are you just interacting just in general? Yep, pretty much always one turkey. Yep, there's, there's always going to be one turkey generally that's more vocal than the others, and I will try to not only imitate her in 
cadence and the types of calls she's using, but also, you know, rhythm and pitch if possible. Uh, you guys know, I mean, it's so funny how when you have a bunch of hens together, how many different voices there are out there mm-hmm. and how they're all speaking differently. You know, you have some real high pitched and clear and some old and raspy and some that, you know, in between. But there's always one that's doing the most talking and I'll always try to hone in on her. The turkey that's going to answer me is the turkey I'm going to talk to back and forth. And that's the one I'm going to hone in. You can't you can't possibly talk to all the turkeys in that flock. So I'm going to focus on one that's going to answer me consistently and keep that conversation going as long as I can. If nothing else, to get an idea of where they're all heading and what they might be doing. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story real quick. So this, well, I guess it was a week before last. Now I was hunting out of state and we were running and gunning and we stopped at this one area and call and we hear a hen call back. And so we, and she didn't sound very far. So we just kind of dash, you know, jump into the woods and find a, a decent hidden spot to sit and sit down, call, she calls again, and I, I go to move to rake into the, to rake the leaves a little bit, sound like a turkey scratching, and just as I do that, she pops over the hill in this field and mm. looks in there and sees me and starts putting. It starts to walk away. Well, I just got real soft and, and you know, just made some very content calls and that kind of thing, calmed her back down, and she turns around and comes back into the area that we're in, in the woods, and as I'm doing these soft, contented calls, she starts imitating me, and I'm like, wait, no, wait, wait, that's my gig. I'm the one, I'm <laughs> imitating you, you don't imitate me. <laughs> so I, I, I realized at that point in time that that's probably how that hen that we're imitating feels. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, unfortunately, she didn't have a boyfriend. She was solo, so we we kind of let her move right on along, but that was yeah. that was pretty interesting. Yeah. That, that is amazing how if you get one interested like that, they will just be on you like nothing. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, they're just right looking for socialization or whatever, and, and uh and sometimes we won't leave. They just like circle you and hang around and, you know, listen for that yelping or purring or whatever you're doing. Yeah. And this one, she, she wouldn't leave. I mean, we, we let her move on she, and the woods were open still. She could see us, but we got up and we walked off and went on another hundred yards down the road and called and she called again and started coming towards us. So <laughs> she, she was awfully lonely. <laughs> she liked you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Would you change your calling at all early to late season if trying to call a hen, you know, try to call the flock type deal? Because I feel like I run into more aggressive hens maybe early while they're still kind of that dominance factor. And it seems like almost more lonely hens late season when they're in the nesting and everybody's splitting up. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, like I said before, I think, you know, the whole calling to aggravate the boss hen tactic really works best early in the season when they're more bunched up, you know? So if, if I'm going to get aggressive earlier with the hen, it's going to be earlier in the season. Um, and again, it just, as you said, late in the season, you have that, you know, they're all separated and you have those kind of the lonely hen syndrome going on a lot more. So I'll just kind of, in either scenario, I really just try to mimic and see what they like. Uh, you know, and try to get a conversation going. But earlier in the season, I'll probably get aggressive a lot quicker than I would later in the season. Yeah. 
Have you ever used Kiki's much in the spring turkey season? Um, I'm ashamed to say I really haven't uh, through much of my career, but like the last few years, I really have started. And I, <laughs> I don't know why I don't, because if you have a big bunch of turkeys and they're very vocal, oftentimes you'll hear them Kiki, the Jennies, you know. So I just actually one of the last hunts I was on here, I threw in some Kiki's and I don't know that it got that much of a positive response, but it certainly didn't hurt. And it was just kind of a, to me, it just kind of adds more realism. Like you're another turkey yeah. out there. I mean, you know, it, it's another play in your bag of tricks that if, if it's realistic calling, it's never going to hurt you throwing that in. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I've only really seen it. I had a buddy who, who kikied in Florida and he absolutely got them just, I've never seen turkeys get that fired up over a kiki, but they loved it. <laughs> so I, after that incident, I've started using it more. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I can't really point to an instance where, like, the kiki was what killed a turkey for me, but I've never had it, you know, scare the turkeys away or something. You know, I don't even sound that good, but it's close enough. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, like Mark Prudhomme always says, you know, usually when you hear – uh, turkeys calling there's there are several turkeys calling and so you should typically try to sound like several turkeys you know so if i can you know be on a couple of different devices and maybe kiki and and, and you know kind of jenny yelp on one and and mimic an older hen you know a raspier sound on another to me that just adds more realism that gives the gobbler an impression that there are multiple turkeys you know over here that he needs to visit and when you say jenny yelp are you talking about just more of a pure Yelp, more of a, you know, if you're using a diaphragm, a uh, two-read call, something not real raspy. Yeah, something just that's kind of real high and clear, I guess. You know, it just kind of breaks over without any rasp. And and it's, uh, I say Jenny Yelp, but of course, you know, there are some hens that just yelp like that. I guess that's just their voice, but, you know, something that would, I guess, be more indicative of a a young hen, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I've always heard that that's a better type call to use late season is that more clear type call to sound more like a jenny or a younger hen because the the toms want to breed the older hens first but you know personally i have a a group of calls that i start out the season with and i end the same the season with the same group of calls in hand you know or or in my vest and you know i i haven't really noticed that you know the gobblers answer a a to read diaphragm call better late season than they do early season you know i i haven't noticed that personally but what what's your experience there have you tested that out at all yeah my, my experience is exactly the same i, I i'm kind of like you I, uh, I i i do run a lot of different calls but that's only because i like running different calls during the season and i figure i'll just try to give them different voices and different sounds and see if one appeals more to them one day than another does you know but i honestly really don't change my calling that much from opening day until the last day of the season you know i mean i'll 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 try to vary it based on the situation and see what works but i my approach is really very similar you know whether i'm running and gunning cold calling uh calling to hens or calling to a solo gobbler pretty pretty similar approach every time and, uh, you know, I mean, it's funny. Some days one thing works and the next day the total opposite works, you know, but that's part of the 
a puzzle you got to put together, I guess, to try to figure out what's going to, you know, get get the bird fired up and want to come visit you that day. Yeah. How, and I'm, I'm thinking back to your rapid fire Q&A question, and I know what your, what your answer was to the question, but how likely are you to sit in an area to quote unquote deer hunt turkeys when you know they're hinned up and they're not talkative? Are you going to sit or are you going to run and gun if you have the room to do so? Well, that's the key. If I have the room and the cover to do so, I might try to do that a little bit more. You know, especially up here, it seems like we green up so late. The woods are so open even into May. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of places I can think of, well, I'll, I'll walk on a ridge that you would just love to walk and call all day. And you, you're bumping deer at 200 yards. So how far away are you bumping turkeys? I mean, yeah. you're, if you're walking and talking and they're not gobbling back, you are absolutely bumping turkeys and ruining that place. So, again, based on the situation, if I know they're hemmed up and I don't have a lot of room and the woods are very open, I'm really more apt to find a good spot where I know they're frequenting and just sit and try to be patient and figure out what they're doing and hope they visit. You know, if... Hopefully I can get one to respond. I can always move if the terrain allows. Now, later in the season when, when the vegetation is leafed out and I might have a bit more ground, I might be a little bit more aggressive, you know. But even then, they get it's funny how they will get pretty selective about the areas they choose late in the season, you know. I think it depends a lot on where the hens are nesting and whatnot. So I just always try to pay attention to where I'm seeing groups of birds, um, you know, not even so much strutters, but just, you know, hens here and there feeding in the morning or whatnot. And if nothing else is going on, I'm just always going to always try to set up on the last best information and the freshest turkey sign and, and base my next decision from there. Yeah. In that sit that you're doing, are you, what's your approach with calling there? And are you using any decoys? Let's, let's say, you know, maybe it's a, a food plot, a clover plot, or, you know, even a, a cut cornfield, you know, an old cut cornfield or something like that. What What's your approach there with calling and decoys or no decoys? The decoys really depends on the terrain, like you said. I mean, there's a lot of places I hunt that are kind of pure timber, and in, that, in those cases, there's enough timber and vegetation and terrain that I just don't use a decoy. If I'm in a, a lot of the places I hunt, at least here at home, are uh, smaller properties. So you're dealing with property lines. So if you're in a field situation, I will use decoys just because you need, I think, that final visual reassurance, you know, to let them know that everything's okay and that the hen that, they're, that they've been hearing is legit. But either way, I'll try to slip in with minimum impact and get set up. And then I pretty much always start soft you know, in case a turkey is a lot closer than you think it is. And I'll kind of go soft and subtle for a little bit and just kind of ratchet it up uh, as I go along. And I'm fairly impatient. So uh, like an hour is kind of my benchmark. I'll, I'll give the turkey my best effort for an hour if I'm, unless I'm really certain that one is in the area and it's going to visit that place at some point, you know, and if I don't hear anything or excuse me, have any response within an hour, I'll kind of have to rethink things, you know, and you guys know how it is. I mean, sometimes the first series of yelps you let out, I mean, it's like they blow your hat off and you're like, oh my gosh. And then I've had many times where, you know, you're at an hour and it's like, well, I'm going to call one more time and you, you cut and 
they're right there. They've been coming in the whole time and you sit down and kill him. So it's, uh, it's funny, but, um, but it, it's pretty similar approach either way. You know, I've, like I said, I'm, I try to be patient, but I'm fairly impatient. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah. Sounds like me. <laughs> no doubt. What, uh, off topic of the hen, hen up turkeys, but I know as a writer and as many articles as you've done and stuff, you've probably hunted with a lot of people who mm-hmm. who would be somebody you would say was one of the more interesting characters you've turkey hunted with in your career oh gosh um of course all turkey hunters are usually characters but <laughs> yeah there are too many to mention my first industry trip was in alabama in 1996 with cousin Toxie mossy oak at bent creek uh, alabama and you know at that time in my life i'd killed maybe two or three turkeys thought I knew a little bit about it. So the first morning I was with cuz Troy Ruiz was on camera. Troy of course was with uh, Primos and Mossy for years. And the guy who was calling for us was Don ship who went on to become a three-time world champion. So we sat there that morning in the rain and I realized I knew nothing about Turkey hunting and I just <laughs> like shut up, let them take it from there. <laughs> but, uh, cuz and ship, certainly one of them cuz just, Man, just lives and breathed the history of turkey hunting. I mean, when he pounds on that tube call, he's, you know, there's no one like him. Ship, incredible turkey hunter. He's not only, might be the best woods caller I've ever hunted with, and he's one guy you can walk into a place, and he'll look at like a little knob or a ridge and say, we need to be right here in the morning, you know, and he's he's right. Steve Stoltz, of course, my buddy Steve, I've hunted with him for Oh, gosh, 25 years in Missouri and other places. He's just a phenomenal caller, phenomenal turkey hunter. Chris Parrish, learned a ton from Chris, got to hunt with him in several states. Just unbelievable caller. Mark Drury, hunted with the Drury guys quite a bit in the 90s. Uh, Mark is, you know, people know Mark nowadays as, uh, you know, whitetail hunter. But Mark lives and breathes turkey hunting, and people forget what a great caller he really is. He's an incredible yelper and just loves turkey hunting. He taught me just a ton back in the day. So all of um, Mike Miller, the turkey killer, got to hunt with Mike in the early 90s. I didn't know who he was. He was with Cannon Country Game Calls, I think, at the time. We had a sweepstakes hunt with him. And he uh, we went on a low-level relocation on a turkey for several hundred yards, ended up killing him, and uh, reconnected with Mike years later. We hunted in Missouri and Kansas, and he's just, you know, an amazing skill level, you know, not only as a caller and a woodsman, but he's, he's, we always talk about getting tight with turkeys and staying with them. Mike is the best I've ever seen at getting tight with a turkey and staying with him. He's just uncanny how he does it. And uh, Jeff, Jeff Bud's my buddy in Florida. I mean, Jeff, the Grand Slam King, he's just incredible drive, you know, loves turkey hunting and just, I don't know, he, he's, if there is a turkey alive that Jeff wants to kill, I'd feel very sorry for that turkey because Jeff will find a way to get on that turkey and kill it. <laughs> yeah, hunting them in Florida, South Dakota, I think another state too. But he's just, you know, just a, a walking he, a dynamo. He just does not quit. Mm. Yeah, and there are many, many others too. But been been blessed to hunt with a lot of those guys and just try to soak up as much knowledge from them as as possible. Yeah, man, that. That's a pretty pretty good list of rock stars you just listed off there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. 
That is awesome. So, you know, you mentioned getting tight on turkeys and staying tight on turkeys. And I, I think that's, man, if for those that can do that, that is a tremendous advantage in being able to to kill turkeys and not just, I mean, definitely with hind up turkeys, but not just hind up turkeys. I mean, it's it's all turkeys. And, you know, I've, I've learned the, over the years that that really is the key. If I'm if I'm not in that bird's circle, my chances of killing that turkey are as close to zero as they get. And yep. if I can get in that circle, I've just improved my odds. Then if I can get in his lap, then it's on. I mean, you know, I may not be able to see him, but if I can get 50 yards from him without him seeing me, 40 yards from him without him seeing me, and all he's got to do is make one little fatal flaw, it's it's all but over. So It makes, it makes all the difference, that whether you're in Texas, Nebraska, South Dakota, Alabama, I'm, it's incredible, you know, and, and that really separates to me what separates good turkey hunters from really great turkey hunters. You know, good, good turkey hunters can have a, an abundance of knowledge and set up in good spots and call well and take advantage of turkeys that are in the mood to die that day. And that's fantastic. We all do that. But great turkey hunters will find a bird that's indifferent, hend up, whatever, and yet they find a way to stay with them, you know, whether that means crawling through a creek to stay with them, using terrain just to get ahead of them, whatever. And like you said, get in his circle of trust. And when they're in the right position, when they yelp and he at least wants to come a few yards to check it out, that's why those guys kill the turkeys that most of us don't kill. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Definitely is key. You know, I, I personally, I think that's just such a huge part early season when they are hinned up, you know, you, you get those hens involved and get them curious. And I mean, you know, it just, and it makes perfectly good sense. There are so many reasons why we should not be able to kill that turkey, any turkey. Yeah. If you think about it, coyotes, you know, uh, just what you said, there's a, a creek between us and, and the birds that we didn't know about. There's a blowdown. There's another hunter, you know, for those of us hunting public ground or <laughs> even a lot of private ground places these days. <laughs> Most, private right. Most private ground as well. And so, yeah. you know, the, the odds are stacked against us. And when we can eliminate that tremendous hurdle of distance, and just make it so that bird just has to make one mistake, just like you said, three, four steps, yeah. pop the head up over yeah. the ridge, and that's it. You know, yep. key, just tremendous. Yep. yep, I think that's the biggest thing a lot of turkey hunters lack nowadays. You know, we've we've become so, <clears throat> turkey hunters as a whole have become so conditioned to blinds and fields and decoys and waiting, and it's, you know, if you want to kill a turkey, that's a great way to do it. It's very effective. But um, to kill a difficult turkey, uh, you know, no, it's you, like you said, you have to get in that turkey's circle of trust, you know. And I think Stoltz, the first time we ever hunted together in 1997, we were, it was about noontime and we kind of struck out and he was talking about walking and calling and getting in that turkey's circle of trust, you know, and I'm just following along, loving the show. And we basically got right up on one and struck him and yelped in the, a hen and the gobbler and killed him. And it just lit a light bulb for me. It was like, holy smokes, that, that makes all the difference, you know. I mean, you think of 
you think of all the things that can go wrong when you strike a turkey at 150 yards to whether you're like 50 yards from that turkey. You know, he's got to cover that much more distance. You know, maybe he has hens. Maybe the terrain's not in your favor. There are other hunters. There are barriers, whatever. There are just so many variables in play. You take out all those variables and just play a little bit on his curiosity to get just him to pop into range. I mean, that's you're going to kill far more turkeys than if you just kind of sit and hope for good fortune. Yeah. That makes sense. No With doubt. You've always been involved in, well, I guess always, 20, 30 some odd years now involved with articles and writing in the industry. And so what are, what are your overall thoughts of where we are right now with turkeys and turkey hunting? That's, that's a good question. Turkeys, I'm a little concerned with what's going on nationwide, obviously. You know, I, I don't like the trend in a lot of states. You know, I wish it was going the other way. And I, I, like a lot of people, I wish we could find the answers immediately and find a quick fix. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I think at least people are having the discussion and looking into it, which is going to set us in the right direction, hopefully. So I, I don't know that we'll ever be back to where we were like in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, um, but I think we could hopefully find a good point where populations and hunting is very sustainable in you know everywhere in the country obviously you know we can, I think we maybe got a little spoiled during the golden age you know where turkey populations were booming everywhere and you know of course we all loved it it was fantastic but you know maybe reality is set in a little bit and you know um, in terms of turkey hunting I, I, I feel good about it I, there's still a lot of very avid folks out there I, I think like the hardcore segment seems to have grown in the last few years. I mean, guys who are just really into not only, you know, hunting and killing turkeys, but just the whole experience and learning all the skills, you know, that are inherent in turkey hunting, the woodsmanship and the different calls and just knowledge of the turkey itself, you know, kind of the culture of turkey hunting. So I feel real good about that. You know, I, like I say, I, 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 I hope it, I wish we could kind of continue with what was going on in the early 2000s, late 90s, but that is maybe a little bit of false light, you know, maybe. But I, I think I think there's a lot of smart people working at it and a lot of good organizations behind it now looking, you know, at solutions. I think we'll find hopefully a good, sustainable place here very soon. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think we all have that same hope, you know, that, and it needs to be soon. If it doesn't happen soon, it might be too late. Yeah. For, the, right. for the turkey, that is. So. Yeah, I'd hate to think that we're reacting instead of looking forward and trying to find solutions before it was too late. Exactly. Yeah, it can happen. We, uh, I think, it's up to to us to, you know, to be responsible and and know that this is not an endless resource. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think as a group that we kind of hunters as a whole help bring the turkey back, and if the turkey is in trouble, I pretty sure that we're going to be the first ones to step up and try to get the turkey back to a, a better place yeah yeah and, uh, turkey hunters seem to be very a uh, passionate group don't always agree on everything but that you know they at least are always worried about their turkeys it seems like which is a good thing right yeah <laughs> that's true yeah. well tell us a little bit about your books and tell us where we can find those books if we want one and you know, is there a way to get a, a signature on the inside cover of one if we wanted one? 
Yeah, absolutely. The first one I did was a compilation in 2002 of kind of the best of turkey and turkey hunting called The Turkey Hunters, which was a hardcover book. And that went out of circulation, but I have quite a few copies here. And I can give you all contact information or whatever afterwards. I did then kind of a one-shot almanac in 2005, Turkey Hunters Almanac, which is kind of a rarity nowadays, very difficult to find. In 2006, I did one with Stackpole Publications called Hunting Pressured Turkeys, which is still available from Stackpole or available through me if you'd like an autographed copy. Two years later, I did a similar book called Hunting Tough Turkeys, which is more scenario-based, again, available through Stackpole or through me. And then in 2014, I did a self-published book called A Far Green Country, which I have, you can get it on Kindle or through Amazon, or you can get it through me if you'd like a hard copy, uh, autographed copy as well. Very good. So 2014 was the last one. Is there another one in the works? There is. I've had one written for quite some time and just haven't found the time to publish it yet. So it's, uh, I've got, it's very similar to a far green country, just kind of stories and tales of turkey hunting and I keep adding to it and just need to kind of get it edited and put together and laid out. And I'd, I'd ideally like to have it out here by next spring. So, but I've been saying that for a year or so, but I <laughs> just need to kind of find the time to make it. <laughs> I understand. I understand. You know, it seems like next spring can't get here quick enough. And then all of a sudden next spring's already here and it's gone again. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Vicious cycle. So, well, awesome. So if someone wants to get those from you, how what is your contact info for them to, to get in touch with? Uh, you can contact me. I'm on Facebook, or you can email me, uh, brianlovett131 at gmail.com. Okay. And just let me know. Uh, again, I'll, uh, I can let you know what I have available and prices and whatnot and just mail it out to you. Fantastic. All right. Cameron, do you have any other questions for Brian before we cut him loose and let him fly up to roost i think i'm good and appreciate all the work you've done keeping turkey hunters informed and all the well-written articles and books you've written in the past thank you for all that thanks for the time spent with us this evening i appreciate it very much guys it was a lot of fun just uh any excuse to talk about turkey hunting with you know fellow fellow turkey geeks i'm all in so (laughs) (laughs) thank you that's us. And yeah, I want to second what Cameron said. You know, it's it's nice to pick up a magazine and, and you see the author there is Brian Lovett. And you know the quality of, of writing that you're going to read and storytelling and so on and so forth. And so, you know, it's always a pleasure to know that I'm about to read one of your articles in whatever publication it has to be. So thank you for, for that and keeping us entertained over the years and for what you do for for the wild turkey as well so we appreciate you and well, appreciate your time this evening thank 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 you guys i appreciate that very much and thank you for your time all right have a great evening and good luck surviving the off season and it'll be here soon we just have to keep hope alive hey nine months to go right that's right <laughs> <laughs> all sounds right, worse Brian. when you say it out loud <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it does Bye-bye. all right thanks a bunch have a great night Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Goodbye. Awesome. I I mean, I enjoy all these interviews. You know that or else I wouldn't be doing the show anymore. You'd be doing it by yourself. 
but I really enjoyed that. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I knew it would be. I mean, he's been around plenty of characters and turkey hunted all over the place with all kind of folks. And I mean, anybody who's written that many articles is, knows a few things about a wild turkey. So I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I think you'd be hard pressed to find another person in this country who has hunted turkeys with so many industry pros. That's a, a safe assumption. Yeah. So. Good stuff. Yes, indeed. Yes, and indeed. And I guess we'll have one more round of hinned up turkeys, and I think that's going to be the most boring episode of all because it's just going to be me and you talking about them. Yeah, might be pretty boring. <laughs> Uh, might as well sit the next week out, folks. But Maybe we can eke out a laugh or two between the yeah, two of us. Yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting because, you know, neither of us have offered our opinions, really. You know, we've we've mingled with each guest about it, but we haven't said what we do in any way. So it'd be cool to go in and kind of give our perspectives on it in the last final episode of our Hend Up Turkey series. Well, all right. You talked me into it. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Hey, so, I got a favorite of the week this week, though. I was I've just been about to ask thinking you. of this for like a week. I've All had right. it since last week. It's like, as soon as we got off the show, I was like, ah, oh, there was the favorite of the week. Slot it on me. All right. Turkeys for Tomorrow is doing their post-turkey season survey. And so you go to their website, turkeysfortomorrow.org, go to the news tab, and under it will say 2022 turkey season survey. So take that survey. Uh, they're... They're going to do that every year, kind of to survey what hunters are seeing, uh, thoughts from hunters, take in your opinions, and then they're going to use that kind of to help them designate where, where we need help or, or where we need studies, you know, things like that. So it's important for their data gathering. So go to turkeysfortomorrow.org and take the turkey season survey, and you get to express your thoughts on it. So that would be awesome. That's my favorite of the week. Good stuff. Yes. Well. In addition to that, if your state has a survey of poult survey, post-turkey season survey, whatever it may be, make sure you do that. That data is very important to the state. I mean, I just watched the Tennessee Commission. Half the stuff they talked about turkeys, they'd be like, well, our survey showed that hunters said blank. And, I mean, that was huge to them. So take the surveys, answer them honestly, and that's that's big for how regulations and things are set. So keep that in mind. And, and if you have an observation deal, you know, poult observation, make sure you're on the lookout. And if you see some poults with a hen, make sure you report it. Or a hen with no poults, report that too. Good stuff, man. There you go. All right. I can't think of anything to add on to that. That's all good. So Arriva Dirty, I'll let you uh, sign us off. Yeah, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. 
We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.